All right. Our first reader up was the first guy here, so I made him sign up first. Malcolm, you write like a serial killer. Ladies and gentlemen, Malcolm. Woo. Yeah, I came all the way from Key West, so I get to read two. Lucky me one. The first one is to welcome Spring. Um, uh, but I think I'll read, I'll read the one that was published. I've made a few changes, of course. Uh, Howard and I were agreeing, you know, once it's in print, that doesn't mean you can't go on making changes until you're dead. So anyway, uh, we really appreciate that uh, all of us, I know, are very appreciative of the Up the River editors for choosing this uh, uh, event, for having us read, and uh, for doing the issue, for goodness sake. That's really important. Um, which is being launched here at McGeary's this very evening. Um, okay, this is the poem that was in the um, journal slightly revised, and uh, then I'll read one, since the first one is a winter poem, I'll read you a spring poem, and then that'll be that. Setting out. The muffled station master's voice sends frigid passengers to embark the train which arrived already has the plush of travel though this is unreserved are the airline style safety instructions in the forward seat back net meant to compete or is Amtrak worried what would happen if their coaches flew as we depart through town Three kids on ice wave emblematic arms, while others wander up an old dirt road our town has overlooked. Vacant windows of rusty hulks refuse acknowledgement and overlook what trash there is against their fences. Third growth woods begin to close on denizens in small pitched houses, little smoke out chimney pots. But mostly oak and maple saplings set out their giant stubble to cover the shallow snow tracks of furry creatures now buried deep. And winter's filigree on no one's land picked out with men's debris and women's too goes barreling by yet promise of a thrilled arrival far beyond sucks this trip faster, taking on a subtler smell of privileged luggage and cleaned upholstery the city's elegance will entertain. I'm not going to read you the spring poem. It's spring already, so... Congratulations, you made it. I brought it with me. <laughs> I'm going to read you another one. This one is um, called Home to Roost. We were just sitting here talking about stuff when wham, one of those little drone thingies smashed into my neighbor's house. Thank someone's goodness she was in my kitchen instead. I suppose Mr. President just decided she was a national security risk. Maybe she joined the local committee against fracking? 
or was it her devotion to the memory of Martin Luther King Jr.'s campaign against war? Guess it was that man's picture on her wall that's now just tiny splinters all around. Thank you. And our next poet coming to the mic, Howard Kogan, is a psychotherapist and poet. His poems have appeared in Still Crazy, Occupoetry, Poetry Arc, Writer's Haven, Farming Magazine, Literary Gazette, Pathways, and Up the River. His book of poems, Indian Summer, was published in 2011. You get to see him live. Ladies and gentlemen, Howard Cogan. Thank you. Thank you. Um, thanks to everyone who worked on this uh, wonderful journal. Um, three issues. It's lasted longer than 90% of the journals already. Uh, it's doing good. I'm going to read two poems. First, I'm going to read um, um, Heaven. Then I'll read the one that's in the journal. Heaven. So as I understand it, being in heaven is like working casino security. <laughs> you can't see them. No, sorry. You can see them, but they can't see you. You watch loved ones living out their lives, shoplifting at Walmart, <laughs> trying to date, having car trouble, arguing, aging, metastases blooming, unknown to anyone but you. You can see it all, resting on a cloud. This is your reward. You're in heaven. <clears throat> Okay, this is a slightly different version than the, than the one in the journal, but 50-50. Sometimes I make it worse. Sometimes I make it better. <coughs> this is another version. Advice to poets. I march into the poetry wars with Sylvia trudging along, faintly smelling of gas. And Alfred galloping his carousel horse across the deadly fields of Balaclava. I'm a thinker without a thought, a pencil without a point. The truth is a singularity conjugated into a multiplicity. Each of us clinging, <laughs> thank you, each of us clinging to our own stroglet version. <coughs> or the truth is a magician holding a bouquet of flowers that becomes a dove that's put under a top hat. And when the hat is tipped, there's a rabbit. Then tipped again, there's a chicken. And now the magician is holding two eggs, slams them together, and fills the air with confetti. We were born fish out of water, drowning in the thin air. We had to become magicians, mirrors reflecting an infinite set of selves, but never seeing the truth unless the mirror cracks. My advice to poets is 
never use the word truth. And while you're at it, never use love either. That's advice you can take for the bank. But watch out for pickpockets. They have no need of truth, but everyone steals love. What's coming next is so trite and predictable. I'm pretending to be embarrassed. I'm telling you this because the truth is, I love you. And despite yourself, you believe me. Our next reader up. Nancy Klepsch is a local Ooh. poet and teacher. Her poems have been published in Overall 13th Moon, Poetry Magazine, Salvage, 200 Proof, Chronogram, among others, and online at, was it Barzak? And Albany Poets, she has been reading at featured readings, I'm not done, or open mics in the <laughs> Albany area for the past 20 years. This lady, this lady along with this gentleman, <laughs> Our co-hosts of the second Sunday open mic for poetry Yay. and prose in Troy, New York. Ladies and gentlemen, here she is, Nancy Clash. Thank you so much. It's always a, a real deep honor to get picked by people who know you. So I'm really touched that you guys picked one of my poems. Um, so Langston Hughes, uh, A Negro Speaks of Rivers, and uh, frost, the road less traveled, really permeate and in, in are in my DNA. And I always thought, what would it be like if I got to hear what the queer little horse said uh, that the narrator mentioned? So that's where this comes from. And it's called A Queer Horse. I am a queer horse, a brave hard mount in a hard brave world. My long, lean legs have carried me to Mecca, Jerusalem, and Mumbai. I have galloped in the waters of the Mediterranean, drank her deep blue ocean, felt her waves upon my lips. And now, I'm that queer horse, curly-cued and off-balance. I forget, I forgot, I have forgotten how to run unsaddled through a fresh field. Um, I hope three people don't mind, but uh, I enjoyed reading this poem earlier, and uh, it's spring, so I'm going to read a poem that three people heard earlier. Um, it, started, it started as an art exhibit, and it started as one line, and then I thought, well, maybe there's more to say, so I wrote this down. Um, I hope uh, it's a story that, that resonates with you, too, and it's called we all pray for different reasons. We all pray for different reasons. Different gods, divine synonyms, words repeated, faith smudged, holy maiden, mother incarnate. I am lonely too, unaided, I will pray for you. Baruch Gatoy Hashim Elehelu Melchalam Asher Kiddushanu B'mitzvatav Lehalik Ner Shel You and you and you unafraid. My lover was a Maccabee too. A miracle happened the second day. The oil lasted unbroken. Inshallah, he who brings bread brings life. Bismillah, let there be books. Stop casting stones. 
Now Shanti, Shanti, I come to you, seeking the meaning of Om, igniting invocations and stalling. See the diacritic marks, tribal tattoos, primal like the ocean, music a mantra, the sound of Om, the power of Om, the omnipresent, absolute, more powerful than PayPal Om. Count me in, nudge me in all that matters, awaken me in iconic truths, teach me over and over again and again. No one knows everything, no one knows anything. We build shrines to money, but knowledge is bliss. Dreams lithe and flexible, energize every act. Hearts swarm and make love. There is no apt, there is no app for sweetness and light. But I'm sure someone will try to sell you one. Wherever karma takes you, there you are. A sign is a sign is a sign. I went shopping for a guru or a shaman to heal me. I needed a thousand blessings, bare inspiration. Yesterday, I hobnobbed joy. March, the grade school of my life, ladled praise like gravy on top of it, cafeteria style. Om, om, the sound of everything. My dreams are cartwheels now and the act of spinning matches the world's rotations, one aha axis after another, flowing out of itself back into itself, flawlessly, breathlessly, selflessly, until you and I are universal sounds, collective, beautiful solutions, rare and unknown, so forever each one of us is one drop after one drop after one drop, and forever together, each strong ocean wave. Our next poet coming up to the stage is Dennis Rush. Dennis is an artist, poet, father of six, grew up on a tobacco farm in Kentucky, graduated from the University of Nebraska at Omaha, currently the CIO at Mount St. Mary College, New York, lives in Statsburg, New York. Ladies and gentlemen, Dennis. All right, thank you. Um, glad to be here. I really appreciate being selected. Um, my um, poem, uh, Picking Blackberries, is uh, what's in the book. Um, when I submitted, I submitted uh, four poems about picking berries. Uh, three of them uh, were somewhat sexual, and one of them was a love poem, and they picked a love poem. So, uh, so you won't, you'll never get to know me. Oh. <laughs> no, I did. <laughs> okay, so, um, so I'll read a couple here. Um, read an icebreaker first. That's a funny one. My wife in the old cabinet. She covered it with paint designed to crack when it dries. Afterward, when the paint had dried and cracked, she beat it with a hammer and chain. She used a file and removed every sharp edge. She left it out in the sun and rain. Now it's in the house, her prized conversation piece. She makes her girlfriends laugh when she says with a wicked smile, 
Sometimes old things like men can be made more appealing with strategic abuse. <laughs> the distressed look never goes out of style. <laughs> uh, this next one is uh, uh, one of those times when you know it's in real life. It kind of writes itself as it happens. Um, and then I was also influenced by Lawrence Ferongetti's um, Constantly of, uh, Risking Absurdity, is what it's tied into here. So it's called A Famous Poet Sat Next to Me on the Subway Today. Uh, this is, I, I worked in Boston for 10 years, so uh, so this is, uh, this is the Boston subway system, the T. A famous poet sat next to me on the subway today. He got on at Haymarket and sat right next to me. I knew who he was, but I wanted to be respectful of his privacy, so I looked once, smiled, then went back to reading. He must have thought I had no idea who he was because he started talk to me, talking to me as if he were an ordinary guy. In fact, he never stopped talking the entire ride, which proved he was not an ordinary guy because an ordinary guy wouldn't have said anything. He showed me his avocados. Ten for a dollar. He showed me how nice they were, just the right level of ripeness to use today. Can you believe it? He asked. Ten for a dollar. Every word he spoke sounded as if he were reading one of his poems. Ten for a dollar just fell out of his mouth like a small bell. Ten for a dollar. That phrase proves he is a poet. You can't buy avocados at ten for a dollar. <laughs> two for a dollar is the best I've ever seen. But does two for a dollar sound as good as ten for a dollar? No, of course not. He was just saying that because he's a poet, a leading poet. An ordinary poet would have said two for a dollar to avoid sounding absurd. <laughs> this man knew what he was saying. I wanted to ask him for his autograph, but was afraid of ruining the moment. He got off at Mass Ave. I stayed on until Ruggles. Once home, I read the one book I have of his, slowly, with his subway voice in my head. At the part where he mentions Brussels sprouts, a chill ran up my spine, because there it was, written into his poem, Brussels sprouts, 10 for a dollar. <laughs> but then I think, wait a minute. He did not risk absurdity in his book. That is a reasonable price for Brussels sprouts. <laughs> veteran poet writer currently living in upstate New York whose work over the year has over the years has been published in such journals and magazines as all right settle down because this will take a minute poetic diversity rusty truck sure the Charles Bukowski newsletter thunder sandwich full of crow second avenue poetry and many others ladies and gentlemen you know them you love them and if you don't you might R.M. Engelhart Two derelicts. <laughs> Two derelicts spent their last dollar on the bottle, ripple to beckon the night. In the city, they are waltzing down on Madison, laughing with drunken obscenities, laughing against long walls, leaning against each other as if trying not to fall from the light of God. Together, they howl at the moon wildly, is the sound of lost souls yeah. in a wilderness. <laughs> yeah.
I know poems about serious drunk people. How many of you from the QE2 are drunk now? Thank you. How many of you from the QE2 remember the guy who used to read the werewolf poems? Oh, yeah. Does anybody remember him? If I could remember it, I wasn't there. You have a photo of him. Not as a werewolf. Well, that required a poem after all these years. So this is a poem called Ode to the Wolfman. More poems about werewolves? No one else can boast of that. Coming by once a month back in the day to the old punk rock club when the moon wasn't even full yet to read your poems on poetry night, the old unshaven guy with a gruff voice and verses about lycanthropes, escapades, and turning into a monster once a month, talking about eating mean, ugly people, poor animals, and how terrible the beauty of the lunar landscape was. Oh, to be a young werewolf again, drunk in Paris or in the springtime when the wolfbane blooms at night. Well, at least you're an interesting middle-aged guy with the gift of imagination. Because the last time I heard, you were retired and living somewhere by yourself alone, writing sestinas and eating cat food, and occasionally howling at the moon. Thank you. Our next poet coming up to the mic, ladies and gentlemen, Tom Riley. He is a retiree living in twelve, living on twelve acres in Pittstown. There he gardens, keeps bees, makes maple syrup, and grows hops, which for those of you who don't know, Our make beliefs. beer. Yay. Ladies and gentlemen, Tom Riley. Yeah. Thank you. I just gotta breathe. Um, I have a late winter poem like to read. Called Out the Kitchen Window. Mother Nature cleaned her pantry today. The way a housewife will, to use up some of this and a bit of that. Leftover items long forgot or hidden. Here's half a box of filtered sun and a can of rain slightly dented. There's a tin of sleet. Throw it in. Oh look, some snow past expiration. It all makes perfect precipitation. Ooh, and just a bit of clear sky to brighten the seasoning. And so all came out, each in their turn, out of the pantry, into the air, stirred by the wind, blazing the earth, a late winter meal we have eaten before. Mm. Uh, this one is, didn't start out this way, but it turned into a love poem, actually. Um, this is a song for you. Bows and, bows and ripples, the water to break, the mirrored sky lying atop the lake, leaving green trees their own image to make. An Adirondack August afternoon, paddling the lake, quiet as a loom. Long-tethered nymphacea rise to bloom. Bright yellow blossoms to rival the sun, Parting as the kayaks make their last run, slowly returning to where they begun. The bud points their noses up to the sky, waiting in turn to show their colors high. 
such potential hidden inside, and I am reminded of you. Thank you. Cecile Allen Krauss. Cecile Allen Krauss has had two chapbooks published, Tuscaloosa Bypass and Harmonica. Poems have appeared in such journals as Naugatuck River Review, Windfold Chronogram, damn, Chronogram, keeps rejecting me, even when I was an editor. <laughs> Still couldn't get in. She has worked, oh man, another psychotherapist for 30 years and lives in Copenhagen, New York. I want the two of you to get together later and figure out who the killer is, just with the psychological profiles. All right, ladies and gentlemen, here she is, Cecile. Thank you, Mary, and thanks, thank you to the editors. I think that it looks beautiful. Thank you. I'm going to read two poems. The second one is the one in the journal. Turning Point. In the very spot where farmers once gathered at Charlie Wade's store, rusted cargo containers jut an angle like giant erector sets. Their cabs disconnected and dying at some distant locale. Red bricks, ubiquitous sign of southern modernity, replace rough planks of the Baptist church. Micaville is a crossroads with little to recommend it. M memory adds weight to such a place. Love scans for details. Here, my grandmother kept a shotgun at the door to scare roustabouts looking for her boys. She had done what she could, testifies her tombstone. A corrugated metal auto body offers car and truck repair to children of farmers who knew how to fix their own machines. In a faded corner store, I can almost see blue-eyed Uncle Theo by his barber chair, scissors in hand, shadowed by a dangling light bulb glow. Hard to know what will be there next, cafe or laundromat, dreams come and go. When his plan for escape from farming failed, he moved to Orange Beach, the Gulf's redneck Riviera, and cut the hair of tourists. What's mine is yours. Inseparable from fifth grade, Yan and I traded paper dolls, secrets, and fantasies. At 11, we fell in love with Michael, our buddy from church, and planned a wedding for the three of us. <laughs> in college, we traded food and cigarettes. Loan me 35 cents for a cigarette, should say. Okay, but you already owe me 50 cents, I replied. Now you owe me 85 cents. Well, should tell me, you owe me a dollar. So I just owe you 15 cents. She saved money, packed some food, and on a dank January afternoon, 
I put her on the train in Tuscaloosa to see her Lebanese boyfriend at UCLA. It would take days to get there. Her hair rose in a monumental beehive, the way she'd teased it all semester. Long sleeves covered the slices she had cut in her olive skin. Mascara smudged, she smiled through tears. Her arm lifted as she waved goodbye, her coat sleeve dropped, revealing scars. Years later, smoke ate her body, collapsed her lungs, and I screamed, you owe me nothing, what's mine is yours. Thank you. Next poet coming to the stage. Uh, I can say this from a personal standpoint, from the bottom of my heart, it was one of my favorite posts to read from all the people that submitted. You know him, local Albany poet, Alan Catlin. He is. Do you want your full bio? It's not going to get nicer. You wrote the rest of this up about yourself. Alan Catlin, everybody. Say that uh, I'm still honored to have been the uh, one of the first features at the that Rob and scheduled at uh, the first uh, Word Fest, along with who was the other one? Uh, I don't know. Uh, you Very remember angry the other one? Uh, oh, that was me. Yes, Mary up at Thatcher Park and uh, in the freezing cold. In the freezing cold, but it was, it was still fun. Uh, this is the poem that was published in a journal. Um, there is a, two lines in here with, um, that are lyrics from a Frank Sinatra song, which I will not attempt to read. We'll just pretend. Dancing with lunatics. Somewhere off-road, just the side of hell's half acre, seen better days dance hall, low lit by whale oil lamps and tall candles, overhead ceiling fans, Swat the June bugs, the industrial-sized black flies, the death disease carrying mosquitoes. All the chosen daughters of Cain lined up against the interior walls and long lines. All of them possessed the half-shaker women, the half-witches of Salem on a pre-flight, pre-haunting joint, joint, cool to touch as something newly rescued from the grave. Bleeding ear music alternates between heavy death metal and country western fiddle fest. Players wasted on pure white lightning in a jar or one toke removed from total catatonic state. Master of ceremonies, hardcore mumble porn at the mic suggests partnering, partnering in liquid vanilla pentangle pairs to that old black magic that you weave so well those icy fingers up and down my spine dance to the music of time where it stops no one knows and in keeping with the uh, levity mood um, I will read uh, Rear Window Revisited um, reimagining of uh, Alfred Hitchcock. 
The moon is down behind the decrepit row houses on the kind of night rogue hunters last left last outpost of freedoms with cannibal quarters as guides on half rations of raw flesh, not human in a Conrad novel like Heart of Darkness. The only visible light of disturbed street lamps last flickering and low-flying helicopters skirting rooftops, searchlights scanning shadows for what moves. Figures in broke-back grooms and desperate embraces feel each other as if to assure themselves they remain alive so still now they could be after images of a mad go god's ghost parade. After the coroners go, nothing but dead air with static electricity and the sound of metal ash cans clattering in the pockmarked streets as the wet-brained winos emerge from hiding places, hot-wired to ignition, their eyes sparking, their jagged teeth on fire. Our next reader up is very scary and important. It is Mr. Tom Francis, ladies and gentlemen. One of my besties. Tom Francis is the president of Albany Poets. He has been organizing. I'm not done. He has been organizing, promoting, and hosting open mics, poetry, and spoken word events in Albany, such as Nitty Gritty Slam, School of Night, Albany Poets Presents, and the Albany Word Fest, which you are now all a part of. For over 13 years, as a poet and performer, Tom has been featured in many of the upstate poetry and spoken word events, from Saratoga to Woodstock. He's pretty international. As well as Larkfest, Art on Lark First Friday, and this Albany Word Fest. Ladies and gentlemen, our fearless leader, Tom Francis. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Molly Francis. The official spokesmodel of the Albany Word Fest. So did you want me to do a speech about how this whole yes, thing started? Yes, I would love that. So um, in, in the year 2000, all the way back in the year 2000, um, in the year 2000. Uh, I was living in Boston, Massachusetts, and I got this uh, email from a guy named R.M. Engelhart, who, um, I don't know, about eight years earlier, uh, started um, encouraging me to come out to poetry readings more and everything when I started coming out when I was 16. Um, Tell me. Yeah. So he's like, I got this great idea of, of having a website that we, we, we post poetry events and we publish people's poetry. And this was, mind you, back in 2000 where there wasn't a lot of websites devoted to poetry. And I said, that's a great idea. Let's do it. So fast forward another year, 2001. We, Rob says, hey, let's do a poetry festival where we get poets from all over the area, like Woodstock and Saratoga and Albany and, and all around, and we'll, we'll go up to Thatcher Park and we'll have a nice afternoon and we'll read poetry to each other and we'll have a good, you know, nice fellowship. And we said, absolutely, it's a great idea. So let's do it. So we did that, 2001, 2002, 2003 in September. 
And then uh, we moved stuff around. In 2005, we said, you know what? We're going to do stuff in April. And now, 10 years later, here we are, still doing it in April. So thank you for being part of it. We've gone through a just a and for one day to going to have a whole week's worth of poetry events here in here in Albany. So it's just a great testament to the great writers, poets, performers, spoken word artists that we have here. And uh, you know, I, I couldn't ask for anything more than having everyone here to kick this off. Fourteenth year we've been doing this. So thank you. Did I miss anything, Molly? And two years ago during WordFest, we thought maybe Molly was going to come, you know, in the middle of WordFest, and, and she waited. A week, uh, half a week later, Molly showed up. And nine years before that, we were hoping I'd go in labor. That's right. And then... And Ms. a week later, I did. Miss Julia. I still have been waiting to get to Don, this year might be yours. <laughs> All right, so this was the... Uh, the the first time I've been published in Up the River, and I've only been published in like two or three other things in my 20 years of doing this. So thanks for, for including me. Um, it could have been pity. I was also uh, published in, in Chronogram one time. So um, this is called Listerine. This was the, the piece that was in Up the River. The smell of Listerine and my father's breath meant he was heading off to work for the day. The same smell of mouthwash on my mother's breath meant dad was on his way and it was time to hide the evidence. She wore perfume to mask what she was up to while he was gone and he chain smoked with his windows up in his car to hide another woman's scent. He showers before and after all his appointments and he's never quite clear as to where he's been. You can only golf so many days a week without being on the PGA Tour. She scrubs her flesh under scalding water, trying to get clean the parts and reclaim that fresh innocence every time she strays away, physically or not. She never wants this to end. This is what she's been told is right and true. She is meant to be here, waiting for him, hoping for more. He never wants this to end. This is what he's been telling her is right and true because he's destined for greatness and she must be ready for the ride. So, the second one is, is nice and quick. Um, every year I try, you know, especially for National Poetry Month, I try to do the 30 for 30 challenge. I get day one and that's it. So here's my April 1st poem. She said that she wants to change the world, she whispers. I want to be remembered for something big, bigger than me. I love when my little hairless dog has dreams. <laughs> she wants to run for city council. And I think everyone here can vote for her. She can do worse. She's got a great platform. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Yay. Kevin, Mary, Carissa, Yay. for putting together a great book. Thank you, Molly Francis, thank for being an awesome audience. Enjoy the rest of Our next poet up to the mic, Karen Schumer. Am I saying that right? Schomer. Schomer. I apologize. Close enough. I gave it a shot. Come on. It's a good shot. Karen is a poet 
an author living in Columbia County, New York. Her poems. Yeah, Columbia County in the house. Her poems have appeared in, uh, shit you not, Chronogram. <laughs> the Journal of the Malay Society. Julia, in her room, received honorable mention in the 2012 Hudson Valley Writers Guild Poetry Contest. She has been a featured reader at the Sunday Four Poetry Series in Boreesville, New York. Her music criticism has appeared in the New York Times, New York Magazine, Newsweek, Rolling Stone, and many other publications. She is the author of Great, Pret Great Pretenders, My Strange Love Affair with 50s Pop Music, published by Free Press in 2006, and her music writing has appeared in several anthologies, including Leonard Cohen on Leonard Cohen and Innocent When You Dream, the Tom Waits reader. She is the vocalist for the Shomer Formation. Did I get that right? You got it. Yeah, two tries. <laughs> a psychedelic trio which performs at the low beat in Albany BSP Lounge in Kingston and the Half Moon Saloon in Hudson. Ladies and gentlemen, big round of applause for Karen. Thank you so much for um, including me. I'm, I'm so happy to be in a journal other than Chronogram. So is Mary. The poem uh, that's in the journal is called Summer Perches Above Its Wane. In the kitchen, the sun goes down. Light shafts retreat from the darkening living room. Cicada hum of appliances moth wing dust. Another season is about to drop. I'm not ready. I never am. I remember lying side by side on the rose quilt, tucking breasts away from clutching hands. Her eyes birth blue, not yet having learned to accuse. The noonday glares, arms raised to hit, snow in November and early spring. The unpredictable cycles of tenderness, each little coming and going a test. I love her like a long distance runner. Now I hear footsteps upstairs, bedroom to hallway mirror, a pause for mascara, eyeliner, concealer, then the rush down, heavy boots smacking treads, cat racing ahead on soft paws. She grabs her purse from a chair, kisses my head, says, be back later slams the door. Outside, sky purple and unconcerned. Cat settles on the rug, lifts a leg to wash. Thank you. So I, I have another poem. I, I brought a couple, and I'm only going to read one, and I was like, hmm, the alcohol poem or the city poem, and I think it's the alcohol poem. Yeah, a girl. 
Uh, this is called Sanctuary. We glide onto stools like navigators steering narrow boats through reflections and hassocks. It's a swamp in here, old growth, punk wood, rows of labels like a wall of cabbage balloons. Storefront camera obscura, all the light in the world whittled to a point. He doesn't speak, nods. The bartender makes her lugubrious way along the trench. Music, a wake-up grind. Gut bucket cords dragged through mud. She pours whiskey from a middle shelf. Its scent wafts toward me on its way to his mouth. Sour smell of my father, pinstripe and shag, hurried tilt of chin to glass. Regret is just a mask. I love these afternoons, the unified purpose. We're tandem trailers. I pour it myself, but he won't drink at home. He doesn't say much. It bothered me at first. One afternoon, I wanted to ask him, is it unpleasant for you to verbalize? But I thought he might be offended by the question. Besides, I can touch him without asking rub a small circle on his back, slip fingers into his jacket sleeve, feel the warm velvet of his wrist. There are pathways into his oblivion. I don't have a code. My personality is a series of gestures meant to soothe, splendid in its ineffectuality. We're silhouettes on a white sea. He flicks the glass, moves it an inch across the bar. She raises hammer eyes at the sound, reaches for the bottle, pours another. Thank you all very much. came all the way from Beacon, which is a different time zone, <laughs> I would, I, I, I like to read three, if you'll let me. Please Put go ahead. Two plus the one I, in the book. You're a priest, I'm not arguing. Ah, <laughs> uh, Catholic school girl. Okay. Uh, um, this is called The Jew and the Black Boy on the A Train. I, I got this poem because in, in um, Daily News, a long time ago, there was a photograph of a Jewish man, I, I, you can see the yarmulke on him, and he's sitting on the subway like this, and th there's a, a tall, lanky, African-American young man who is uh, leaning on his, who has fallen asleep on his shoulder, and the Jewish man just looks straight ahead. So this is the poem. <clears throat> Amid the screaming choreography of steel wheels, and jostled back and forth like East River detritus washing up naked on Stuyvesant Dock. 
The pilgrim on the A train sits, Brooklyn bound. Still, as in a waiting room, he stares in his opaque reflection in the dirty facing window. The lanky ebony youth sitting to his right, having washed cars all day in Tribeca, can't stay awake and slowly leans into his shoulder, slipping into sleep. The pilgrim prays, only succumbing to his silent moving lips. The Lord is good to all and compassionate toward all his works. Uh, this is a villanelle um, called After the Grief. After the grief, we changed our shoes. Our hearts steeled to just move on. We tried to step away to forget you. Your name still spoken on our avenues. Your laughter still heard in our ears. But after the grief, we changed our shoes. The funeral is past, and we bid our adieu to all who came to weep with us as we tried to step away to forget you. You don't go quietly. You're still the news. Why is it so hard to leave you be? So after the grief, we changed our shoes. So many things said that we now rue. Now you'll never know our sorrow. So we tried to step away to forget you. You're so the cause of our regret and blues that we pray somehow you hear this true. After the grief, we changed our shoes. We tried to step away to forget you. This last one is from the uh, book, although either I changed it or somebody uh, edited it, because it's a little different than this one, so I'll just go with this one. Huh. Sunday morning on the River Road, Newburgh. I drive from north to south in early morn while Sunday's eyelids peer for light. For a hint of form in the gray, forlorn from night's despair, not yet in sight. On my left she sleeps, the Hudson maid, her silver eyes still shut against the gray of the eastern shore and far away, beacon. While above, as crown, seen north to south, a cloud like buttered popcorn hovers, like Rachmaninoff's long-fingered arch covers the silence of an unborn cord. A suspended cloud of 20 miles as angels arm in arm dance in Celtic silence from Newburgh south to Peekskill. It's the enticement of paradise for me to look up and see this cloud cap only helicopter high. I pull over and sit charmed in my car. Then, oh, see when you turn the page, you're not finished the poem and start clapping because I have one more sentence, I'm sorry. <laughs> then, <laughs> In the Sunday morning sky, as from an egg cracked, life breaks open. That's it. Next poet up to the mic is Frank Robinson. Frank is an applaudable poet. Former New York State Administrative Law Judge and author of seven books, including Albanese, O'Connell, Machine, and The Case for Rational Optimism. He writes the Rational Optimist blog and is married to the poet Therese Broderick. Yeah. In 1969, he was the first man to walk 
on the moon. Wait a What? Uh, I'm just reading the bio. I question the historical accuracy of that fact, but nonetheless, we printed it, so it must be true, ladies and gentlemen, Frank Robinson. Absolutely. I wish to make a statement. Um, that, that last bit in the biography is an exaggeration. <laughs> Go on. No. I, I never walked on the moon. And uh, if anybody was misled by my statement, I wish to apologize. You get a refund on the book. You see what was misleading about it? It's when you said you did it. I understand. But you see, you see, I watched the thing on TV in 1969, and it made such an impression upon me that over the years, in my mind, Anyway, I apologize. I apologize for the This is this is the poem that, that was in the book. It's called The Winter of 88, and it was written for my wife. Dark, cold, and empty. I remember it as though the chill had never left my bones. Every night at five o'clock, returning to that house, dark, cold, and empty, and gritting my teeth as I walked through the biting, frigid air, I could almost taste the warmth I craved, could almost see her, touch her, the soft eyes, the gentle hands, the sibilant, melting voice, as though she were waiting for me, just behind a gauzy curtain, the flimsiest of barriers that I need only push aside. And I'd enfold her in my arms as tightly as one could without her existing in the flesh. As if an act of will could conjure from the mists my dream made real. Then winter's cold gave way to spring, and there it was at last, that gauzy curtain. I tore it aside and seized you in my arms. Now, I am announcing my candidacy for President of the United States. Leadership, middle class, fairness, jobs, take back America, education. Did I mention middle class? A new direction, investing in our future, fight for you. Not big government, but smart government. The America I love. A helping hand. An America that works. Our neighbors. Across the partisan divide. Our kids. For all Americans. Our grandchildren. Best days are still ahead. Our planet, middle class, God bless America. Thank you.
today, so Dan's going to read a poem or two of his. Gary Murrow is a poet, writer, artist, and performer. He has performed his poetry and spoken word all over the country in small coffee houses and large theaters for over 20 years and has been published in many journals, probably chronogram, yeah. <laughs> zines, newspapers, and websites. In the past couple of years, Gary has taken time off from traveling and touring to spend time with his family and friends. In that time, he's been collecting ideas and writing almost every single day. In 2012, Gary Murrow was voted one of the best local poets in the Metroland Reader's Poll. Ladies and gentlemen, Dan Wilcox reading Gary Murrow. Yeah, uh, as my father used to say, that and a token will get you on the bus. <laughs> All right, so I, I'll read the poem that Gary has in here in the up, Upper U River. Uh, it's called A Valentine. I went to your house with a bouquet of flowers. Your truck wasn't in the driveway, so I broke in. Put the flowers on your table. Sorry about stepping on your cat. Is that why you haven't called to thank me? <laughs> Gary Murrow! Gary Murrow!